0: Okay, if you haven't met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here, and I want to offer you a very warm welcome. What we're doing today is we've got the next part of our Life's Playlist series where we're going through some of the Psalms. Um, And what we're also doing at the beginning of each sermon is we're giving an opportunity to introduce you to some of our leaders of the church here, and also they get to share with you a little bit about their Life's Playlist, what they're listening to at the moment. and uh, we get to laugh at some of their music choices and things like that. So I've got Charlotte this week. So Charlotte, do you want to come and join me? Can we give Charlotte a hand, please? Oh, Jeremy, can I have the mic? I forgot your microphone. Sorry.
1: Is that on, yeah, brilliant. Hello, I'm Charlotte. I'm part of the senior leadership team here. I've been told I've got two minutes to tell you who I am, what I do, and what my playlist is. So, are you timing me? No, 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 that that no, 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 I wasn't. No, I thought no. he was setting a timer. So, I am, I am married to Ben, who was up here last week and told you about his playlist. If any of you saw him or have listened to him, please do not judge me based on what you heard my husband mm. say. You can judge me on my own playlist, hmm. that's fine. Um so we have two small children, Zach who's five, Esme who is how old are you? Um She's gonna be three in two weeks' time, so in two weeks' time Esme gets to go out to kids work. And we are all very excited about that. So that, what I do, I spend most of my time looking after these two small children. Um, I work part-time for um, one of the big professional services firms. My background is as a chartered accountant, chartered tax advisor. Um, my current role is um, strategy and operations lead for global business tax, which sounds dull, doesn't it? But it's really interesting. Um, I love doing that. And the main thing about that is that I get to juggle it around looking after my kids, which is incredible. Um, I'm also chair of governors for a local school here in Sutton, so I get to be involved in the education setting in one form or another, Um, and then I also give some of my time each week to church. Um, I do all of the really fun stuff that everyone is queuing up to do, like the admin, like the rotors, like the finance, like the lettings, all of the really exciting stuff. I joke, but it really sits well with me, it fits my gift mix, how God has wired me, so I love doing that. So basically my life is a bit of a juggling act. (laughs) So all of the mums out there will be like, yes, I understand, you juggle everything, which sometimes works really well, sometimes it goes horribly wrong, and a lot of the time it's exhausting, but I would not change it. So that is me. My playlist, I am... Ben said last week that he likes music that makes him think, and I was like, no. (laughs) There are there's too many tabs open on my brain at any given time as it is, let alone needing to think about anything else. I love music that makes me want to get up and dance and get up and sing. So I am unashamedly a fan of cheesy pop. Anyone else? yes, (laughs) thank you particularly cheesy part from the late 90s early noughties which is when I was in sixth form and at university so anything that makes you want to get up and dance and sing we love that, we often have dance parties in the kitchen don't we with disco lights and stuff Uh, we also, me, Zach and Esme listen to some musical soundtracks so we love The Greatest Showman at the moment we listen to that in the car and at home a lot Um, and I love worship music so more often than not I'll have music on at home or when I'm out and about in the car um, I love. At the moment, we're listening to a lot of the Hillsong stuff, so I like the Hillsong playlist that are there on Apple Music, and we listen to some Hillsong Kids stuff. Um, anything that turns my heart to God and speaks truth, and that I can just sing out, is is brilliant. I love that. Um, and if I have got any brain space left, which is unusual, um, I like listening to podcasts and to sermons and to talks and conferences. Ben said last week that he listens to podcasts at double speed. I do not do that. I can, <laughs> I can barely listen to it at normal speed without getting distracted or asked a question and having to rewind it every ten seconds. But I'd love doing that if I have time. Love. I love the Bible, and I love listening to other people teach it and explain it and give you a different perspective on it. So that's me in probably more than two minutes.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. you, Charlotte. Can we give her a clap? Yeah, give that a <laughs> Okay. To our Psalms. you've got a Bible, can you go to Psalm 123, please? We've been looking at the Psalms of Ascent, which are a series of Psalms within the book of Psalms. Psalms 123 to 134. There are 15 of these Psalms, and these were Psalms that were sung by the pilgrims who were traveling to Jerusalem for one of the three annual feasts that they held each year. And they were commanded in the word of God as a people to come to the city where he would place his name, which was the city of Jerusalem. And there they would do that three times a year to celebrate the goodness and the graciousness of God. And there were three festivals. There was the Festival of Unleavened Bread or the Passover, the Festival of Weeks or Pentecost, and the Festival of Booths. Or tabernacles, And so the, uh, the pilgrims would come from around um, of Israel and they would come to Jerusalem. And they're called the Psalms of Ascent, scholars believe, because as they were traveling to Jerusalem, they would be ascending. The city of Jerusalem was on a hill and the temple was on the highest point in, on, in the city. And so they would have to ascend to go up to the temple and to the presence of God, which was in the temple. Hence, we get the Psalms of Ascent. And if you look at them as a... Whole they cover lots of facets of life, the ups and downs of the life of life's journey, and so they really are a playlist for our life, which is why we've called the series um, What We Have. And they uh, reflect many of our pop, modern pop songs over the years that kind of cover all aspects of life. Now, the Psalms as a group, we'll put this up. Can you put up the, the structure just to look at them? There are 15 Psalms of Ascent, but actually, they usually they come in groups of three. And the first one of the group of three is a situation of distress. The second one is a talking about the Lord's power to deliver. And the third one is to bring the pilgrims home. And we've done the first three, 20, 120, 121, 122. So we've seen the little cycle of what it means to be a follower of God. It can be tough, but we know that God can deliver and eventually he will take us home. But today we've gone back. We're going back to Psalm 123. So you can imagine what it's about, can't you? You know where we're going. So that's what it's going to be today. We've titled all our songs, sorry, all our psalms after songs. And so this week's one is probably going to be my favorite of the series because it's after, I guess, my favorite band in the world that I've actually seen live as well at the Milton Keynes Bowl. And you'll all know this one. Go. Okay, we have Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. Anyone going to go for the year? Oh, who said that? Who said that? 1986. I think it's worrying that you just knew that. You just knew that. 1986. That dates it. All right, so Bon Jovi, 1986, Living on a Prayer. Let's read the psalm. See how this fits in. It begins, to you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt, our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. Okay, that's Psalm 123. It's one of the shorter ones in the Psalms of Ascend. Interestingly, it's got no direct reference to the pilgrim journey to Jerusalem as others had. Um, and, but it comes back to what we found in Psalm 120, which was times can be tough following God. We can have good times, we can see God answer prayers, we can see him come through and we can celebrate, but also within that there are times of difficulty where we have to cry out to God in our pain, in our suffering, in persecution and in tribulation. And this is a psalm that is about prayer and about looking to God, hence living on a prayer. And I want to look at three things as we go through the psalm. The first one, that prayer has its focus on God The second one, prayer is an expression of our helplessness. And finally, prayer is always a struggle. All right, first one, prayer has its focus on God. Verse one says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heaven. The psalm begins with the author, the psalmist, looking to God as his focus. Looking to God. Both of those first two verses begin with the word you. Um, Some translations put it different, but in the original, that's what the psalm begins with. They're the words. It's you. The center, the, the, the focus of the psalm, like the bullseye of a target, is the Lord, the God of Israel. That is what he is looking to. That is who he is crying out to as this psalm. And as the pilgrim travels to Jerusalem, as they go on their journey, their focus is the Lord, the God of Israel. And this would have stood out... Culturally, because around that time, what marked Israel as different to all the other nations through this history is that they had many gods. They had many gods for different things, for different areas, for the, the rain, the sun, the moon, the harvest. They were just gods that covered so many things. They were shrines to God everywhere in high places. But the psalmist is saying, at the beginning, at the outset, there's only one person I'm looking to. My eyes are only on one. Thing one, one center, one target, and that was the Lord, His God. That was the focus of what He's doing. And it says He lifts up His eyes. We've heard that before, haven't we? Psalm 121. Flick back a couple. How does Psalm 121 start? About lifting up His eyes. And so the same, it begins in a similar fashion. They lift up their eyes, and we saw when we looked at Psalm 121 that there was this phrase is a phrase of longing. And desire and expectation. So, what the psalmist is saying at the outset of the psalm is, "I'm looking to you, God, and there is a longing and an expectation. Not just a casual glance. You look over at something. There's something deeper. There's something longing. They're they're putting their eyes and they're not going to take their eyes off it. And they're expecting something to happen as a result. They're looking with longing and desire." And the question then begs, why why are you doing that? Why would we do that? Why is the author doing it? Why would they lift up their eyes and look to God? And he gives you an answer in that second line. He uses this phrase, O oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Enthroned in the heaven. He's basically saying he's looking to a powerful God. The image there enthroned in the heaven is not one of remoteness like He's way up there above us, far of us. He couldn't possibly hear us. He couldn't possibly see us. That's not the imagery it's driving at. The imagery of the throne is a a symbol of power and authority. Earthly kings sat on thrones. And the throne was the symbol of their rule to govern the people. Whoever they were. It was their symbol to make decrees and for them to be obeyed. As they spoke from the throne, that's where their power came from to over life and death, over starting wars, all these things. It came from that point. And so when we look at when he looks to God and he says, You have a throne and what you also found about earthly thrones, they were often raised up. To give that sense of superiority, that sense of, I am more powerful than you. So if we had a throne in here, the throne would probably be here on the stage, raised up. And the person, the king, would sit on the throne and look down. And he's saying, actually, God has a throne, but his throne isn't even on earth raised up slightly. Where is it? It's raised in the heavens. His throne is in the highest place. You can't get higher than that. All the earthly thrones, they might build cities for themselves and they might put themselves on a throne above their people. But God is enthroned in the heavens. And it's a symbol of his power and authority that the psalmist is looking to. And as they they would have sung this and they would have reminded themselves God is enthroned above the heavens, they would have... Look back over their history, and they would have been reminded of the things God had done for them. Even the festival that they had been traveling to were festivals designed to remind the people of God what had happened to them, how God had led them to where they are. So, if we think back over Israel's history, you go back to when they were slaves in Egypt and they were a slave people and they'd grown and multiplied as God said they would. And then Moses comes along, sent by God, and says to Pharaoh, "Let my people go." And 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 God, in miraculous power, sends the plagues. Hear about the ten plagues? The people leave, and then you get the, the Red Sea incident where they come, and there's a sea in front, they're, they're trapped, and Pharaoh and his army are behind. What do we do? What does God do? He parts the seas, miraculous deliverance, destroys the enemy of God's people. Then they go into the wilderness, and they start, and are like, "We want nothing to eat." And so God sends manna, and he sends quail, and he sends water, and he provides for upwards of a million people for 40 years wandering in the wilderness. He provides them with um, food to eat and water to drink, and clo- their clothes don't wear out. And then they enter the promised land under Joshua. We looked at that last year, went through the whole of the book of Joshua, and how God's power to defeat his enemies. And we saw that it wasn't Joshua defeating; them, it was God working through them. God was the author of victory. And he was incredibly powerful, so he defeated all the enemies, drove them out of the land he'd promised his people. And then following that, you get the um, establishment of the kingdom. Under we got David and the greatest kings of Israel and his son Solomon, who established the temple and all that. And actually, that's, again, a display of God's power at work. And so as he's looking up, lifting up, looking his eyes to one enthroned in the heaven, he's reminding himself who is where the power comes from, where his hope is. Not in himself, but in something so much bigger, so much greater. And as Christians, as we go through life, one of the most helpful things we can do to walk this Christian life, to walk this journey, is to turn our eyes to Jesus. To always be looking to him, to remind ourselves who he is and what he has done. It's the reason whenever we come together, together, we always start with times of singing where we sing about how amazing he is. That's the brief we give the worship leaders. You need to sing songs, lead us in pointing to Jesus. We need to be reminded how amazing he is. And the reason we do that is we are so tempted to put our eyes on other things. We're so tempted to look elsewhere, Life comes in like crashing waves again and again and so often we put our focus on other things. We put our focus on our problems. Things, these are things that are concerning us. Which not necessarily wrong, they're not necessarily bad, but that's what we tend to look at. We tend to look maybe at our job, which can be all-consuming and going on. Maybe um, family and pressures in the family and children and, and all the things that go on there. They, we can tend to look our, on that. We tend, to, we tend to run after whatever the latest trend is. Well, what's the new thing that's going on? We'll go after that. And we put our eyes on that. We sometimes put our eyes on the things and the pleasures and the lusts of this world, the latest toy, the latest trinket, the latest thing that we can spend our time and our energy and our money on. We put our eyes on those. And as believers, we need to be constantly reminded to put our focus on Jesus. Put our eyes on Him. Because He's the one Where our help comes from. He's the one who provides for us, watches over us, looks after us. He's the one that we look to and cry out when things are just beyond us, which can happen so often. And Jesus even told us this himself. He said, When we come to prayer, what did he start by saying? He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be our name. You look to God. That's what you've got to do first and foremost. Look to Him. Remind ourselves that he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is rolling over all creation. There is nothing outside his control. He is running all things together for his glory, his purpose, and he will ultimately work out for our good. That's what we are to do as a people. So how does that work? What does that look like in our life? How do we keep the fire of faith burning? How do we add more logs to that? How do we keep our eyes on Jesus? Well, there's a bunch of things you can try. Number one. Read your Bible daily. (laughs) Read your Bible daily. Pick it up, open it, read something about it. Remind yourself who God is and what he's done for you, how he's transformed your life, his sovereign care over his people throughout the ages. Read some decent books About Jesus, if you've not got a a decent book on the go, I encourage you to do that. Find a decent one that talks about God, His grace, and love, His mercy. I've got one here just to recommend. I read it before Christmas. If you haven't read it, give it a try. It's called The Prodigal Prophet by Tim Keller. Jonah and the Mystery of God's Mercy. I found it really encouraging just to remind me of God and His sovereign hand on my life through Prophet Jonah and kind of learn about that and the mercy of God towards a sinner like me. Fantastic stuff. What about songs to sing? Charlotte mentioned listening to worship albums. And doing that, we put, we're put we going to sing a new song after, new song for us anyway, after I've finally finished. I sent a link out this week. There's a song there. Listen to the song. It, it, I've listened to it about 30 times since I sent it out. I thought, i would heard this one. I'll have a listen. It's really good. Listen to it. Build your soul up with good worship music. Sermons. They're amazing, aren't they? You are so blessed to have such good preachers. In this church, (laughs) if you miss one, catch up, find out what God's been saying to us as a people. They're all online. Testimonies, like we have one from Die, they're great to hear. Life groups are a brilliant place to share them. We've got lots of time there. Share the stories over dinner, build one another up. So, my encouragement to you make a choice, make a choice to go deeper with God this year. Make a choice to say, I'm going to put my eyes on Jesus more this year than I did last year. I'm going to do things. I'm going to speak to him more. I'm going to call out to him more. I'm going to be reading more, focusing more, and that will turn my eyes. I will lift up my eyes and look to the one enthroned above the heavens. Okay, what about the second thing? Prayer is an expression of helplessness expression held the psalmist he's looked up his eyes he's seen God he's looked to God as this one who is above everything but then he says behold as the eyes of servants looked to the hand of their master as the eyes of a maid servant look to the hands of a mistress so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us have mercy upon us O Lord have mercy upon us he is crying out to God in prayer at this point And there's some imagery there. He uses the imageries of servants and master. And if you look at the two verses, you've got singular and plural, male and female. It's kind of a catch all, it covers everything. Servants, plural, maid servants, singular. And there's a male and the female in there, master and mistress. And the words used there are to describe the lowest position in kind of the household authority structure. The servants, the maids, they were the lowest one. They weren't the masters or the mistress of the house or the children of them. They were the ones at the bottom rung. And the point is they had no power or authority. They were, they were helpless in essence. They, they, kind of, they were at the mercy of the master over them. They couldn't change anything for themselves. In fact, they got told what to do. So they were at the mercy of their master or mistress. And despite, despite this low position, they had a relationship. They got to look To their master, if you track those three verses in my translation, the word eyes comes up three times in every line, one in each line. That's where they were looking. So that links us back to where the psalm started. Looking, where is your longing? Where is your expectation? What are you looking at? And so they're looking to the hand of their master, the hand of their mistress. And this is another image of the power of God can work. The hand represented um, the authority and the power to change things. So that's what the servants were doing. They were looking to that. How can you change that? Then who's the master and the mistress? Well, who is that? Well, it gives it away in that last line. It says, so our eyes took look to the Lord God. And interesting, the word between Lord and God. In my translation, it says our. So there's a personal collection, a personal relationship here. These servants were looking to the Lord our God, the one who watches over us. And they were crying out, it says, for mercy. Lord, give me mercy. Mercy is to be gracious, to be kind, to show compassion and pity on those who are destitute, those who are lost, those who are broken, those who are hurting. And what we've got there is we've got the author recognizing the position they're in. They're in a position where they I can't do anything about my situation. My situation... It's tough. My situation is I, I can't. I can't get out of it. I've got. I, I've got no power to change it. I can't do anything. I am helpless. So they are crying out to their master, the Lord our God, to do something about it. They need God to intervene because they cannot change their situation on their own. Whatever it is, it doesn't it doesn't say what the situation is, but they're desperate. They need mercy. They just need someone with someone who is above them to look on their situation with compassion and help them. And for us, when we pray, prayer is that expression. Prayer is that expression that actually we cannot change situation, circumstances ourselves, no matter how hard we try. It is the very antithesis of pride, which we know God hates. It is an expression of humility. It is very clearly saying when we pray, I can't do this. I can't cope with this i can't handle this i can't change it it is beyond me and so we cry out to god in prayer it requires us to be humble it requires us to come to someone way more powerful than us and acknowledge that acknowledge our hopelessness and our helplessness and say lord we need you and we have the ultimate example in our lord jesus christ who though being in the very image of god did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But what did he do? He humbled himself and took the form of a servant. And he came to earth and he, he walked the earth and he taught his disciples what it meant to be humble. Even he cried out to his Father in heaven. He taught them how to pray. He humbled himself and ultimately he went to the cross, died in our place. And for... Us to be Christians, this is the attitude we should have. Position of helplessness. In fact, I don't think you can become a Christian without having had that attitude. Jesus told a parable, about, a parable about this. You'll find this in Luke chapter 18. He said this. He said, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He said, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Pharisee, the good guy, moral, righteous, you know, yeah, trying very hard to be good. Tax collector, bad guy, thief, liar, cheat. The Pharisee stood up by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Yay, he's a good guy. But the tax collector stood at a distance he wouldn't even look up to heaven and beat his breast and said, "God, have mercy on me, sinner." I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." The point of Jesus is making is actually, when you come to God, we need to come with humility and recognize our sin, our brokenness our emptiness, our absolute 100% need for him. Coming to him like the Pharisee thinking, I've got it all sorted, I'm not as bad as the other person, is the road to disaster. And we need to acknowledge our hopelessness and our helplessness before God. And the tax collector in that story did that. He cried out for mercy, just like you're reading that psalm. He realized that he was beyond helping himself. He needed someone come, to come outside and help him. And it said as a result, he was justified, which is just the Bible word for, for not guilty. He was declared righteous before God because of his humility. And the Pharisee did not get that wonderful privilege. And that's what happens when you become a Christian you turn away from your old way of life, you repent of your sin, you recognize your utter helplessness before a holy God, your utter fallenness, how much you've failed and messed up, and you cry out to God for mercy. And he, well, he is gracious to forgive. But it's not something that just happens at the beginning of our walk with Jesus. It's something that happens throughout our walk with Jesus and should carry on to the end. We so easily forget um, about that moment and we keep try- We go back to try and do things in our own strength. I can sort this out. I can work this out. I can make this happen. I'm smart. I'm educated. I've got money. I've got resources. I've got street smarts. Whatever it is, I can get what i need to do without turning to god in prayer and the reality is a lack of prayer in our life is a sign of pride and thinking we can do this ourselves that's what it boils down to we don't need you god we've got this covered why don't you go and help someone one of the more needy people in church you know the ones the ones who are struggling a bit more no we are all in that situation we all need it and we need help with so many things in our life we need help with family situations tensions relationships we need help with work situations what do i do where do i go what's the next step what's what i'm facing how do i handle this situation this boss this kind of compromise on integrity over here this how do i do this how do i cope with the pressure We need it for financial pressures in our life when things are coming on. How do I get through this? How do I know what you're calling to? With health situations, when that goes wrong, we need God to intervene and help us. And if you're not a believer here today, I want to ask you a question. Have you acknowledged your helplessness before God? Have you had that moment where you said, actually, I can't do this. I need you, Lord. I've fallen Way short of standards, God's standards. I we all fall short of our own standards. If we're honest, we mess up so much. I have the Bible just uses the word sin. I've fallen short of God's glory. I haven't managed to raise up to those standards. If you're not a believer here, you need to turn. You need to repent. The Bible says, "Turn around." That means put your faith and trust in Jesus and Him alone. Call out to Him for mercy, just like we've written in the Psalm. Have mercy on me, just like that parable. Have mercy on me, God. I need you, and call out to him, and he will bring forgiveness and grace into your life. What if you're a believer here? Do you do this on a daily basis? Do you make a point daily of coming before God saying, help, Lord, I need your help to do life. I need your help to follow you. I need, I need your grace to be strong in the face of temptation. I need your wisdom to know how to handle this given situation. I need your, your grace to come and bring reconciliation where there's been relational breakdown and hurt and pain. I need your healing in my life because I've been a victim for things that have come upon me. Are you doing that on a daily basis? The question would be, what are you facing right now that you need to cry out to God for? And maybe you haven't been. What, God, what situation are you facing where you just need to... Acknowledge before him that you are helpless and you need to come before a sovereign power of God and ask for him for help. Last thing, last thing. Prayer is always a struggle. <laughs> You're welcome. Prayer is always a struggle. Even if we put our eyes on God, even if we recognize our helplessness and our need and actually like, oh, I can't do this, God, it will always be a struggle it says at the end of the psalm it says for we've had more than enough of contempt our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud he's crying out for mercy again and again there was a moment when i was going to use the duffy song i'm begging you for mercy mercy but i didn't i went with bon jovi but anyway that's just a thought there but he's begging for mercy, saying, "God, mercy!" And he's, he's like, he's at the end of his tether. I've had more than enough, he says. He says it twice, actually. I've just—it's like I'm just at the end of myself in what's going on in this situation. He says he's full of these things. That's the expression he's saying. I'm full of content. I've had enough. And it's good to be good to be full of good things, full of joy and happiness. That's wonderful. But he's almost got the opposite. I'm full. And I just, I've just i had enough. I've had scorn and contempt poured out on me. Scorn and contempt is, um, is what it means to, to, to think of something as worthless. It springs from an evil heart, evil intentions. It's derision. It's mocking. It's abuse of those less fortunate. And so what's happening here is the people of God, this psalmist, are in that position where there, there are others on the outside looking in, down on their situation and just pouring scorn on them and mocking them for the horrific situation they're they're in. We're not totally sure what that situation was, but there are examples throughout Scripture. One in particular was in the book of Nehemiah, where the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed And the people of God had been taken off into captivity in Babylon. And then they'd come back. Nehemiah had led some of the exiles back. And they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, or at least trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And there was a character in the book called Sanballat who was uh, an enemy of God's people. And as they were trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, him and his friends, they were standing around. And they would mock the people of God. They would mock them. So imagine you're in. You've returned to your home that has been devastated by war, and you are trying to rebuild something of your life. And there are people on the outside who have who have everything. They're they're healthy and they're wealthy and they've got money and they're fine. And their homes are fine, and they are just mocking God's people, and they're saying, "You're never going to do it. It's never going to happen. Look what you've built. It's rubbish. It's just, a fox could come and just knock it over." It's useless what you're doing. And the people of God were in that position where it was just like, I can imagine them saying, it's just too much to be doing this, trying to follow God's will, trying to follow him. And outside you've got these pressures of people coming in. And one of the most painful things about this psalm I noticed as I was studying is actually that prayer's never answered, is it? It just ends. They're calling out to God for mercy and saying they're in this terrible situation where some forces, someone outside them is just is pouring scorn and shame on their situation and you expect, you hope, there to be a verse, it would be verse five. And God came and killed them and everything was fine. Do you know, amen, isn't God wonderful? It doesn't happen, it just ends. And it's left hanging. It's like... And they're just in that situation. And so the the psalmist is crying out to God and looking for mercy, and they are just waiting. They're just waiting. And this can be one of the difficult things for us. Prayer can be a struggle at the best of times. We find that we're too busy, we're too tired, we're too lazy sometimes. It it attacks our pride, and we don't want to go after it. It's just too much. The Bible uses words like persevere in prayer. Well, cheers for that, you know. Travail in prayer, it says, but effort into prayer, like it's some tough exercise you've got to do. Because that's what it's like. It's never a meeting in the church calendar that people flock to. I've been a pastor now fifteen years. I've worked this out. If you say to people, let's come to a big worship knees up. Oh, yeah, we've got the great band in. Hey, everyone comes. If I say we've got a prophet coming and he's going to prophesy one of you about the wonders and graces of God and what he's going to do with your life, everyone's there. Hey. Come and pray. Oh, do you know what? I'm, bit, I'm tired. You know, kids need to be put to bed. Long day at work. Let's just be honest. That's what it's like. And it can be particularly hard praying when you're in that season of waiting. I didn't know what I was going to share this morning. Seriously. Waiting. When you're in that position of waiting. I found having children, got two little boys who are amazing, I found one of the hardest things to say to them is not no. No, you you cannot have another ice cream. No, you can't do that. No, you can't stay out late. No, you can't play with the kitchen knives. All these things. No, I thought that would be the thing they most react to. It's not. The most fuss I get out of my boys is when I say, wait, just wait. So effectively it's a yes, but it's just, just not now. You have to wait. And often the waiting can be clocked in seconds, but the trauma with those seconds is sh- disproportional. I just, I find what the wailing and the, you can't imagine with my kids this could ever happen, but it does, the, the, the fuss and the floor and the, ah. Oh! It's like I'm torturing them, or maybe I am, but it's just wait. And this can be the same for us. When we're crying out to God and he's just saying, wait, which is what, in essence, the psalm ends like. He's just saying, wait, it's difficult. It can be really hard when you're under pressure, when there's a situation coming on you, when you're facing ridicule and scorn, Like we read in the psalm, and God isn't, there's there's nothing, there's no apparent, you know, where's the answer coming from? When are you going to break in, God? And God is just telling you to wait, hold on, I'll do that. And there's no easy answer as a people of God other than to trust in his goodness and his grace and his perfect timing. And interestingly, Jesus told a parable about this as well, (laughs) that comes just before the other parable I read, Luke 18, it says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who would neither fear God nor cared for people. That means bad judge. Didn't fear God, didn't care for people. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. That she, so she won't eventually attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? The answer there, the implied answer, is of course not. Because God is so much better than the judge in the story. He's a loving, gracious, kind Father. He is perfect. He loves people. He wants goodness in your life. And our response to that is to keep trusting Him. Keep crying out to Him. Keep focusing on Him. Even when it's hard and it's difficult. Even when we know that there's nothing we can do, we keep coming back to God And so as we kind of finish, I'll wrap this up. I want to encourage you with a few things. Make a choice this year to go deeper with God. Make a choice to pray every day, to cry out to God daily. Lift up your eyes to the one enthroned in the heavens and bring your case before him. Bring your plea before him. Bring your concern, your pain, your suffering to him. Cry out to him for mercy. In your life groups, when you gather, every week our life groups gather, they eat, they chat and then they pray. In there, pray. Call out to God for one another. Call out to God for the church. Call out to God for your situations. Put your eyes on Him. Cry out to Him. When we gather, gather as a church every third week, when we have church at prayer, come along with us and pray. Fight the urge to just bow out to cop out. It's been a long day. I'm too tired. The kids have been a pain. Newsflash. Everyone's going through that every time. It just happens. There's no excuse you can come up with that other people aren't coming up with at the same time. It's tough. Come together and pray with us. And we cry out to God. And we're going, in the waiting, we just keep going. We just keep going, knowing that He's a good, gracious, kind God, and ultimately one day he will come through. If Not in this life, it will definitely be in the next. And in the meantime, we're to stand, hold firm in faith and cry out for mercy. Amen? Amen. Do you want to stand up? Can the band come up? I'm just going to pray and then we're going to worship Jesus and put our eyes on him. Okay, maybe you just want to close your eyes. For a moment, I'm just going to lead us in a little bit of prayer and the band, and we're going to sing. While we're waiting in this first moment, I want you just to take, take, a, take some time and think about the God who's enthroned in the heavens, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's ruling and reigning, even now. He is sustaining the all, of crea- all of creation. The fact that everything's still moving and everything working is because he's doing that. He is sovereign over all things. He's also aware of all things, which means he knows everything that you're going through intimately. He is not surprised about your situation. He loves you with an everlasting love, and he has power to act. He is not an impotent God. He is the almighty God that raises the dead to life, that transforms the repentant soul (laughs) into new creations. He's that God, and he's the one. So lift up your eyes. Lift up your head and look to him, the one who's ruling and reigning, the one who is just over everything, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that mighty God, the lamb who was slain, who conquered sin and conquered death and rules over everything. Now, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. And I imagine there are many things in many situations. And I don't want to belittle them. They can be extremely painful. You will be, some of you are suffering ridicule and mocking and contempt. And you are under pressure at work and pressure at home and pressure in your finances and pressure with health. And I want you to take a moment now to cry out to God for mercy. Cry out to a sovereign God, recognizing that you're hopeless and helpless in that situation. I can't do anything about it, God, but I bring it to you. So I'm just going to give you a moment to cry out to God. Jesus, we want to thank you for every situation that's just been brought to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are you're aware of it. You're involved with it, Lord. And I pray for us as a people that in the waiting, you give us grace, Lord. Whether you deliver us today, tomorrow, next week, maybe not even in this life, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are with us always. We thank you that you will always be with us and one day, soon, when we see you face to face, it will all be gone, all be dealt with. There'll be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears, and the old order will have gone, and there'll be a new one forever. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for that. But God, as we wait now in this imperfect, flawed, broken world, Lord, we ask you to give us grace to wait, to wait on you as that good, kind, loving Father who watches over his children, Lord. We pray you shape us through these difficult times, shape our character, that we love you more, that we become more like Jesus. We pray you lead us on. Oh God. God's people said, Amen.